All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, and we'll continue in our study of the book of Matthew. I think we're over two years into it now, and uh, we've just now reached Matthew 22, which is the, we're in the final week of the life of Christ, and we're going to get to see some very important events. But today, looking at verses 15 through 22, we have here in this passage what's been called the most important teaching on God and government in the entire Bible. I'm going to say that again. We have here in these verses what's been called the most important teaching in the entire Bible on God and government. Jesus here gives us in one sentence, at the, in verse, I think it's down in verse 21, in one sentence, Jesus gives us more teaching and better teaching on God and government than all the books that's been written in all the world. This is the greatest teaching on God and government, not just in the entire Bible, but the, in the entire world. And I think we need to hear this today. I think it's very relevant for our time as there's a lot of controversy over God's role and the government's role in our lives. And we want to know what Jesus says about that. So let's stand together. And I've titled this sermon, What is Our Responsibility to God and to Government? So we're going to look at these verses starting in verse 15 and going through verse 22. And again, I think this is the most important teaching in the entire Bible on God and government. So starting in verse 15. And then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him, that's Jesus, in his talk. And they sent out unto him the disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. So tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? That question is, should we pay our taxes or should we not pay our taxes? Good question. Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Here's that sentence. The most important sentence in all the world on God and government. Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. And unto God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled. They were amazed. Their jaws dropped. And they left him and went their way. We're going to really look at the entire passage, but we're going to focus our attention on verse 21. As I want to show us today, and you'll know it by the end of the service, what is your responsibility to God and to government? So let's pray together and we'll study these verses. Father, we thank you that your word has given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. And I think this is a very relevant subject for us to study today. And I'm thankful, God, that this wasn't me thinking, okay, we need to touch on this. This is just us going through the Bible. And we come upon these verses that teach us these things that we need to learn. And we need to apply as Christians and as a church. So teach us these things. Help us all to know today what is our responsibility to you and to the government that you've placed over us. Teach us these things. Help me, God, please. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Two of the most controversial subjects in all the world is the subject of God and government. The subject of uh, faith and politics. The subjects of uh, 
the church and the state. These two subjects are hot topics. And when you call them hot topics, it means that they're, they're so hot that nobody wants to touch on them. Nobody wants to, to talk about them. Because if you do, if you go and get around family members or at your job site, and you start talking about these two controversial subjects, especially if you put them together. But if you go into your workplace and you say, let's talk about God. People start sweating and, and, they're, and they're going to start getting nervous. Or you say, let's talk about politics. They're going to start sweating and get nervous. Or if you walked in and you said, let's talk about God and politics and put them together. People get upset. Why? Because people have opinions on these things. Everybody wants to, to share their opinions. They have strong opinions. And everybody gets so upset if you don't agree with them on God and on government. Especially right now where you got COVID and everybody's saying, should we wear masks or should we not wear masks? Or, or should we open our church or should we not open our church? The government says this, God says this, who do we listen to? So there's a lot of, uh, and even at the election, who should we vote for this way or that way? Who would God have us to vote for? Should we vote for this side or for this side? So there's a lot of back and forth on, on God and, and government, faith and, and politics, church and the state. It's the two most controversial subjects of our time. And here I am talking about both today. It's highly likely that somebody's going to walk out of here happy with me today, which I love. It's also highly likely that somebody's going to walk out of here mad at me today. Because we're talking about two of the most controversial subjects in all the world. And every single one of you have an opinion on politics. Every one of you. Every one of you have an opinion on God. And, and putting those two things together, we could have some heated discussions in here today. But I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to ask for anybody's opinion in here today. I'm not going to go around the room saying, who'd you vote for? Why'd you vote for them? I'm not going to say, do you think we should wear masks? Do you think we should open the church? Is, is God in control or is the government in control? I'm not going to do that. I don't want your opinion. You don't want my opinion. We want what God says about it. And that's why we open our Bibles, because what the, when the Bible says something on a subject, the argument is over. And you don't disagree or agree with me, you have to disagree or agree with God. So we're going to look at this today, what does God say? And it's not just, what, what does the Bible say, but these, these words come straight out of the mouth of Jesus himself, on God and government. And this is the question this is the question day. I want to look into the passage as we, as we get ready to, to look at it. We're in the last week of his life. We're down to maybe a day or two left. Uh, they say this is Tuesday of the Passion Week, and the Pharisees, which is the most religious people in the world, are going to question Jesus. I, I want you to see that. They come to him in verse 16, and they ask him a question. They come to him in verse 23, asking him a question. They come to him in verse 34, and they ask him a question. So they're questioning Jesus. It's like he's on the stand, and they're doing everything they can to get him in trouble. And today, the question is on God and government. They're asking him, should they pay taxes or not? That's a controversial subject today. It was an even more controversial subject then. If you have a, a strange or strong opinion on government today or on God today, you'll get make people mad at you. If you had a, an opinion then, you could get killed over it. And that's what they're hoping. They want to they catch Jesus and get him killed. And I want you to watch how Jesus handles this question. It's, it's masterful how he handles this question. Jesus deals with it perfectly, and he gives them, again, the greatest lesson on God and government in the entire Bible. So I want you to, to follow along with me as we look at this passage. I'm going to give you three points as we work our way through this. 
So let's ask ourselves, what is our responsibility? Or we could say, what is my responsibility to God and to government? And I hope that nobody gets mad. I really do. But if you do, you don't get mad at Josh. You get mad at what Jesus says. So let's look at our responsibility to God and to government. Number one, I want to show you in verse 15, the sneak attack. The sneaky attack. It says in verse 15, then when the Pharisees, they took counsel, you see that? that they got together. They, they, they've huddled up. And you can just see the sneakiness in this. Uh, they're, they're losing the fight against Jesus here. They're trying to catch him in some things, and, and none of it's worked. So they're, okay, let's get together. We need a new plan. We need to figure out how we can, look what it says, huddled up, big wigs, the most religious men in the world are all going to huddle up and say, we've been losing, guys. Let's figure out a new way to catch Jesus. Look what it says. Look, they took counsel. They're trying to figure it out how we can entangle Jesus in his talk. They want to figure out a way to get Jesus in trouble. That, that's what they're doing here. They're, they're trying to get him to say, it says in his talk, they're trying to get him to say something that'll make people mad. They're setting a trap. Like if you would go hunting and you're going to set out a trap for an animal. That's what they're doing. That's what the word means. Or if you go fishing and you're going to, I, I hate to keep using the fishing terminology, but you're going to set the bait, you're going to throw it in the water, and you're going to catch yourself a fish. They're entangling Jesus, trapping Jesus, want to catch Jesus, saying something that's going to make everybody mad at Jesus. That's what they're out to do. If he says something against Rome, Rome will get mad. Or against the Jews, the Jews will get mad. So it's sneaky, it's evil, and it happens today. I'll just give you a short illustration. I had a lady come up to me years ago here at this church. And she had, a, she had a, a sheet of paper front and back that she handed to me that she had topped out. And on that sheet of paper had, had all kinds of different uh, biblical beliefs. Some biblical, some not. And she brought it to me and said, Here, Pastor, I want you to circle the ones you believe and to not circle the ones you don't believe. And then you can sign your name at the bottom. <laughs> and I, I knew she's trying to catch me. She's trying to entangle me in, in, in my own words or in my talk. So I looked at her and I said... I believe the ones that are biblical, and I don't believe the ones that are unbiblical. Amen. And she walked off. She was trying to trap me or entangle me so that somebody somewhere could get mad or somebody in this church could get mad and leave the church. This happens even today. So that's what they're trying to do to Jesus. So they got a plan. Here's their plan. And they sent unto him. Here's the plan. This is, this is what they're going to do. Sneaky stuff going on here. Evil stuff going on here. And they sent unto him their disciples. They wouldn't go themselves. They sent their students. <laughs> we'll send you guys to Jesus. He's been, he's been wearing us out. You guys go. So they sent their disciples. And they sent the Herodians. You, you see that? And this is, and I've got to stop here because this is a strange alliance. When you put the Pharisees on one side and the Herodians on the other, and they're both going to Jesus together, these are strange bedfellows. These two groups didn't like each other. The Pharisees were all about God and theology. The Herodians was a political group. They loved Herod and the government. That's like when you see Herodians, they loved Herod. That's like saying you're a Trumpian or an Obamian or a Biden in. in. <laughs> so they're all about Herod. 
So you had one that's all about God and one that's all about government. And they were at odds with each other. One was pro-God, anti-government. The other one was pro-government, anti-God. How do these two groups end up together going to Jesus? They were at odds. Get this. One was anti-Rome, one was anti-religion, but they were both anti-Jesus. It's amazing how Jesus brings people together. He'll bring people together in a positive way. Like in a church, we come together because we love Jesus. And there's strange... I shouldn't say that. But the love of Jesus brings strange people together. People that wouldn't otherwise be together will come together and will sing to Jesus because we love Him. But then He also brings people together who hate Him. And they'll do anything they can to stop Him. And that's what's happening here. These two groups come together. And they say, watch what they say to him. This is just flattering Jesus. They say, Master, which is the, most, the highest honor you could give somebody in that day. You're the master teacher. We know that thou art true. I want you to just, this is a picture of who Jesus was. Master, the, the highest teacher. We know you're true. You know what that means? You're the real deal. You say it, you mean it, you live it. That, that's what that means. You, when it says, thou art true, it means you say it, you believe it, you live it. That's what we ought to be. We say it, we believe it, we live it. That's who Jesus was. And then, then they go on to say, and you teach the way of God. I love that one. He's, he, when, he, when Jesus stands up, he doesn't give opinions. He doesn't say, I think so. He doesn't say what man says. When Jesus stands up to teach, he says, here's what God says. And then the last thing they say about him is that you don't care for any man or regard the person of men. You know what that means? That Jesus is not intimidated by any man. That Jesus doesn't back down. He's not swayed. He's not wavering. He's not ear tickling. He's not, he's not mumbling around. It doesn't matter who he's talking to. He's going to say the same thing. Amen. Whether it's a king or a peasant, rich or poor, Jew or Roman, Jesus is going to say the same thing either way. Amen. That's a picture of Jesus. It's true every last word that they say, but they don't believe a word of it. This is just flattery. They're buttering him up. They're paying lip service to to get him to say something and get him in trouble. They're the exact opposite of Jesus. They're a bunch of liars. So that's the bait. See what they're doing? We know you'll tell us the truth, Jesus. You're a man of the truth. You teach the truth of God. You don't care who's standing in front of you. If it's a Roman standing here, the Herodians, or a Pharisee here, you don't care who it is. You'll tell us what you think. An average man would sit there and say, well, yeah, that's the greatest thing I ever heard. They're puffing me up. My head's getting big. So they've laid the, the trap. Now they ask the question. Watch what they say. That's just buttering him up. Flattery. It's insincere. It's mocking. It's fake. And it's evil what they're saying to Jesus. Here's the question. So since that's who you are, verse 17, tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? What's your opinion on this, Jesus? Is it lawful? And that's the law, that's the Old Testament. Is Tell us what you think God would say about this. Here's the question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or not? This is a question about taxes. 
Should we pay our taxes to Caesar or not? You say, well, that's an easy question. It's a question on taxes. I mean, why is that complicated? Because these people were the most taxed people in the history of the world. They had taxes for everything. A land tax, custom tax, income tax, property tax. And the tax they're talking about here is a census tax just for being alive. Just for being alive, you had to pay Rome one day's wages once a year. And that's what they're saying here. We had to take a day's wages, which would be one denarius, one coin, and we had to give it to Caesar just for being alive. It's like we owed Caesar for our life. We paid him just to be alive. And the Jews didn't like that, and Rome loved it, obviously. So there's the problem. Should they pay this tax or not? Yes or no? And this question is very dangerous. Because watch this. Here's the trap. If Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, he's in a lose-lose situation. I feel like I've been in a lose-lose situation since, since COVID started. People come in the door, should I wear a mask? If I say, yeah, somebody might get mad. If I say, no, somebody might get mad. It's like either way you go, somebody's going to get mad. And Jesus knows this here. If he says, yes, watch this. If he says, yes, pay the tax, every Jew in that temple courtyard is going to get mad at him. How dare you say we pay a tax? We don't owe any man but God. It's blasphemy, it's idolatry, it's anti-God. So he has the whole crowd of Jews that will be mad at him. If he says yes, if he says no, don't pay the tax, the Herodians are going to be mad at him. And if they get mad at him, it's treason, it's anti-government. Jesus becomes a dangerous revolutionary that they're going to take him, arrest him, and kill him. So what's the answer? Which side do you want to make mad? You want to make the, the side of the Jews and, and God mad? Or do you want the side of, of government mad and, and end up dead? And Jesus is standing there with, with this question laid out in front of him. And what's he going to say? Boy, that's a good sneaky question, isn't it? They've got him. They fully expect Jesus to say, don't you dare pay that. God's people don't give money to godless pagans. They're just sitting there saying, say it, Jesus. Say it. And they brought the Herodians along just for him to say it. So they arrest him. They try him. They kill him. He's gone. Problem solved. Boy, that's a sneaky plan. The trap is set. To pay or not to pay? That is the question. <laughs> the sneaky attack. Now watch this, number two. Moving from the sneak attack to the super answer. I mean, this is just a, I, I said super, I, I couldn't find a good enough word. Because as I read this and, and, and studied his answer, I thought this is just phenomenal. I mean, you, you could, he, he, he worked this perfectly as if he is God. And he is. Watch what he says here. This is just a super answer. So Jesus perceived their wickedness. I love that. I love the word perceived there. They come to him flattering him, buttering him up, patting him on the back, blowing his head up, thinking they're going to try to trick Jesus. And Jesus knew every single move they were making before they even made it. He knew what they were talking about in the huddle before they even came. Jesus is like a batter who knows what the pitch is, is going to, what pitch is going to be thrown before the pitcher even knows what pitch is going to be thrown. Jesus knows everything. John 2 says he knows 
what's in all man, what's in the heart of man. We can't. They thought they could get something by Jesus. Understand this. They couldn't get anything by him. And not one of you or me in this church today can get anything by Jesus. He knows everyone and the heart of everyone. So it says he perceives, he sees, he knows their wickedness. And he looks at him and he says, why tempt you me? Why are you trying to trick me? Do you think you can pull one over on me? Trying to trip me up? Trying to lay this trap? He knows everything they're up to. And then he adds, I like this, you may not, you hypocrites. To the Herodians and to the Pharisees, both of them. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You come in here acting all nice to me, saying all these flattering things to me. He didn't know them, but he knew their hearts. And he takes off the mask, sitting there saying, I know what you really mean. I know what you're up to. You're all a bunch of hypocrites giving me lip service. I think there's people in churches today that come in and they give Jesus lip service. And they'll sing and they'll say all the right things, just like they did. But Jesus knew that that was nothing but what was coming out of their mouths. He knew what was in their heart and it was nothing but hypocrisy. We better make sure you can fool me. A lot of people have. I can fool you. You can't fool God. As you sing here today and as you sit here today and as you listen here today, you may fool everybody in here saying, look how holy they are and look how holy they are and look how how righteous they are and how religious we all are. We're just doing so much better than everybody else. And on the outside, you could be looking the best and on 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 your lips you could be saying the best. But deep down, who you are is what Jesus sees. I mean, I can look at some of you and I think, man, they're listening so good. But deep down, you're sitting there saying, okay, I've got to get some bread today. I've got to get some lunch meat today. I've got this tomorrow. I've got this tomorrow. And you're not paying a bit of attention to anything that's being said. And as, as you're singing, you're sitting there singing, holy, holy, holy. You don't even know what that means. Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows your heart. There's nothing you can hide from him. I like that. Jesus says, you bunch of hypocrites. You know this, Jesus wouldn't last very long in our overly sensitive culture that we're living in. People love to love Jesus, but when he says stuff like this, they don't like that a whole lot. Imagine if Jesus started going in churches saying, you bunch of hypocrites. In our overly sensitive culture, you know what they do? They get on Facebook and say, Jesus called me a hypocrite. But Jesus was tough. It's exactly what they said he was. He told the truth about them. He told it like it was. He didn't beat around the bush. And then, and he didn't have to answer this. But Jesus never ducks any punch. And he never dodges any questions. So he says, here here we go. Verse 19, show me the money. (laughs) I think that's in a movie somewhere. That's so what he says, show me the money. He's asking for the, for the coin. Because that's what a, a day's wages would be. It would be a, a silver quarter-sized Roman coin. And they had to take that and give it to the Caesar, or give it to the government every year as a tax. So you had a, a little quarter-sized piece of silver. 
And it was worth a day's wages. Jesus didn't have one. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't have money to pay his taxes. He had to get tax money out of a fish's mouth. And now he doesn't even have a quarter or a penny to his name. So he says, anybody got one? Somebody got one. It's like saying, anybody got a hundred dollar bill here? How <laughs> I many days wages? That's, that's a pretty expensive coin, is it not? It's not like a penny. Somebody got a coin? I thought about doing that. Anybody got a hundred dollar bill I can see here today? <laughs> Let's look at this thing. And then put it in my pocket. Anybody got a coin? That's what he's saying here. And somebody out there, everybody starts looking, who's got one? Who's got one? Jesus wants a coin. And somebody takes it out of their pocket and they flip it to Jesus. Heads or tails? <laughs> Jesus catches it. And he takes it and he looks at it. And I, I want to tell you what's on it. You can Google this. They've been found. I, I've got a, I had somebody buy me a, a bronze coin from that same era. Had, had no pictures or anything on it. It was just a small little little coin. But this is a silver coin. This is worth a lot. And on, on one side, so Jesus would take it. I want you to get this. That they'd flip him a coin and he would, he would catch it and then it would be in Jesus' hand and he's going to sit there and he's going to look at one side and he's going to look at the other side. And you can Google this. This is a denarius is what this is called. And, and he would take it and he would look at one side and on one side would be a picture of Caesar himself. Just like on our money. We have a picture of... of uh, mine all have George Washington on them. But you have a picture... I don't have any with Benjamin on it. Does anybody else have, does anybody have one? <laughs> I could look at it. I've never seen one. I will next week when the money comes in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got five kids. <laughs> you all called me foolish. Yeah. Now who's foolish? <laughs> yeah. Now who looks smart right here? <laughs> I'll be the one with the hundreds. <laughs> so he's looking at it. And on one side, there's a picture of Caesar, Augustus. And on the other side, this would be just his face. And on the other side is a picture of him on his throne with a scepter in his hand and a crown on his head. And the inscription on the bottom of it would read two things. Tiberius Caesar Augustus. Or son of the divine. Son of God. And underneath it, it would say Pontifex Maximus. Which is the greatest high priest. Which is funny, that's exactly what the Pope calls himself today. Yeah. Lifting themselves up as God. Surely the government would never try to do that. So this coin to the Jews was a little bitty idol. And they wouldn't even carry one around in their pockets because they thought it was an idol. And it was an idol in worship to Caesar. So Jesus looks at them and says, with the coin in his hand, whose is this image? And whose is this superscription? Whose picture is this? And whose name is this? It's an, it's an easy question. I, I like that. Whose image it is? Whose picture is this? Whose likeness is this? It's the same word that's used of Jesus in Colossians 1 when it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Whose image is this? And whose name is on it? What he's asking here is, and it's not a hard question, who does this belong to? 
Because if your picture's on it, and if your name's on it, it belongs to you. So who does this belong to? It's got his name on it. It's got his face on it. This isn't hard. You tell me, crowd. You tell me, the Romans and the Herodians. You tell me, Pharisees and Jews, whose name and whose writing is on this coin. You see what he's done? He's now turned it around on them. He ain't even answered their question yet. He's asking them a question. In verse 21, is a great verse. They say, we know this one. It's Caesar. <laughs> it's his picture. It's his writing. It's his name. And Jesus says, and here's, here's our, our main point. You, you should underline this. You should highlight this. Jesus says, okay. Here's our responsibility to God and the government. First, he says, and I just want to read the sentence. Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Amen. The first one is, and I love the word render. They asked, should we give the tax? Jesus comes back and he doesn't say give, he says render, and the word render means to owe. That's what it means. So you owe these taxes to Caesar. You pay these taxes to Caesar. You say, you, you mean we owe the government? Jesus says we do. That he has put government over us to do certain things for us. And we like those things. I like driving on roads. Maybe you don't. That's what the government gives us. I like having water. I like having a military. I like having police. And the government gives us those things through us paying taxes. We take those things, so we owe those things back to the government. So Jesus says here, and you may not like this, somebody's getting mad at me right now. Pay your taxes because you owe it. You take what they give, then you give back what you owe. It's like a debt that you owe. So pay your taxes. How many sermons have you ever heard on that? <laughs> you don't get too many people coming to church on pay your taxes. It shows us here that Jesus wasn't a revolutionary. And we aren't supposed to be revolutionaries either. It shows us here that we are not insurrectionists. It shows us here that Jesus wasn't and we are not to be. Jesus didn't come to take over Rome and we don't come to take over the government. That's what, it's, that's what we see here. We don't overthrow governments. We don't leave movements. We don't have civil rights uh, marches. We don't storm the Capitol. We don't do those things. Jesus says here, be good citizens. Huh. See, somebody's already getting mad at me. You say, even if the government's bad? <laughs> Listen to the, the government he's paying taxes to. You ready for this? Tell me which is worse. Because I hear people say, I, I can't pay because America's so bad. Here's Rome. It was a world of slavery, absolute rule, the highest taxes in the history of the world, and persecution. And they would, in a few days, crucify Jesus. They would destroy the temple, kill the apostles, and murder Christians. That's the government that Jesus says, you owe them your taxes. Jesus says it, we do it, pay your taxes. Amen. 
Give what you owe to the government. No matter how bad they are, no matter who they are, or where the money's spent, we owe taxes. That's what it says. The government can have my money. So again, Christians ought to lead the way in being good citizens in their nation. We ought to be the best. Don't anybody mad yet? Okay. Because now Jesus turns it around and says what I think is the best part. Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. Give him what he's owed. Which is this little coin that has his picture on it and his inscription. You take it and the Jews are sitting there saying, Whoa, you know, that, I, can't, I can't believe he just said that. And the Herodians are like, yeah, he's my man. And then Jesus, because Jesus doesn't just like to make one side mad, he likes to make both. That's a preacher for you. Somebody said if you want to make everybody happy, you shouldn't be a preacher, you should sell ice cream. Because <laughs> now he turns it around. Look what he says. And I think this is the best part. And render unto God the things that are God's. Amen. Give to God what we owe him. You say, I like that. Render, owe. Give to God what we owe Him. I'll say in just a second, there's a separation of church and state here. Of God and government here. Of faith and politics here. We give to the government what we owe to the government. And we give to God what we owe to God. So the question now is, and I had to study this. I know what we owe the government. They let me know what I owe them. But what do I owe God? Here's the the question. What belongs to God? What do I have that belongs to God that I owe God? What in my life has God's image on it? That coin had the image of Caesar on it. What in my life has God's image on it? Me. Genesis says, let us create man in our image. The same word. The Hebrew image and then in the Greek image, it goes together. It's the same. Let us create man in our image. The, the imago Dei is, is what it's called. That every single one of us, that's why we value life from the womb to the tomb because every person is created in the image of God. We have a mind to think. We have a mind. I want you to know what the image of God is. It's not just what we look like. It's that we have a mind to think about God. Do you understand that? Animals are not created in the image of God because I got a dog and I love that little puppy. She, she, so I told you before, I love her more than I love some people. But my little German shepherd never thinks a thing about God. She doesn't have a mind to think about her, her creator. We have a heart to love God. And we have a will to follow God. We are created in the image of the Almighty. Let us, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image. That's powerful. 
So what do I owe God? Let the government have my money. God gets me. That's what this is. I love that. God gets me. The government is not my God. The government can have my dollar bills and the government can have my coins. But God gets me. God gets my service. God gets my worship. Not the government. God gets my allegiance. I pledge allegiance, yes, to the flag, but I have a greater allegiance to God who created me. God gets my trust. I don't trust in chariots and horses and militaries and stimulus checks. My trust is in God who created me. God gets me. The government can have a little bit of coin. God gets me. What shall I render unto God for all His benefits? I'll lift up my cup of salvation. God gets me. Do you understand that? We owe God our, our government our money, and we owe God ourselves. That's, I love that. Understand, there's a separation there. The government get what, gets what, they, what belongs to them, and God gets what belongs to God. Now, now I'll move on. I'm running out of time. I'm losing my voice. God gets what He's owed. And the government gets what they're owed. If they're ever at odds, what do we do? If the government ever tries to overstep its bounds. And what government would ever try to do that? (laughs) If the government ever tries to get in, in God's lane. What government would ever try to do that? If the government ever tries to come in and take... What they're not owed. What do we do? That's a big question. The government gets what they're owed. God gets what he's owed. What happens if the government comes and says, I want what God's owed. (laughs) What do we do? Get this. And and, and again, every government that's ever existed has always wanted more power, more control, and to be more godlike. And they will do that. We've maintained in America a certain degree of separation between what government is owed and what God is owed. And those things are starting to coincide. And we have to make our decision, who do we owe more? If that happens, and it doesn't just have to happen with government. You'd give your boss what's owed to your boss. And if your boss ever tries to step into the lane and become your God and make you do something that God wouldn't want you to do, God is your primary responsibility. I say that to children. Get this. God has put certain people over us in certain areas of our lives that we are to submit to and follow. Fathers in the home. Bosses in the workplace. Government over a a nation. A pastor over a church. And we're to follow. And give to them what's owed to them. But if any of those ever try to overstep their bounds. And step out of their lane. We always obey God and not man. Understand. We always do what God says first. 
Christ is head of the church, not Caesar. Jesus is king of kings and sovereign over every earthly authority. Our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ. If those two things ever come together, we always choose to obey God over government. Christ over Caesar. If the government ever comes and says, you can't have church. That's God's lane. I heard a quote the other day that said, be careful if you give the keys to the church to the government, you might just show up and they've got it locked. If the government ever tries to tell us you can't have church, we obey God and not the government. If the government ever tries to come along and say, and they have, you can't sing. And you know, I'm not a big singer anyway. But I'm going to sing unto the Lord, no matter what the government says. If the government ever comes along and says, you can't preach. You say, Josh, they haven't done that to you yet. I've got a friend named James in Canada right now that's on his third week in a maximum security prison for the crime of opening his church and preaching the gospel. Don't you think it ain't coming this way? And if the government says, shut the doors of your church, don't sing, don't preach, we obey God, not man. We obey Christ, not Caesar. We bow the knee to God, not government. They say, don't meet, we meet. They say, don't sing, we sing. They say, don't preach, (laughs) we preach. Here's, I saw a t-shirt the other day. Here's the pulpit. Come and take it. That's the way it's been for, his, for, for centuries in church history. That's the way it will be. So ultimately he says, and we'll move on. I'm going to spend three weeks preaching on this. I am. Next week's Romans 13. The week after is Acts 5. But look what he says. That one sentence basically says, Be a good citizen and be a good Christian. That's as simple as it gets. Pay your taxes and give yourself to God. So there's a super, I think you guys would agree, that's a super answer. One sentence and watch their response. I would think that their response would be repentance. Okay, we give ourselves to you. That's not what they do. We go from the sneaky attack, the super answer, and now the stubborn amazement. It says their mouths were open when they heard these words. And I I want you to see the connection. Maybe if you have an ink pen, you can go from these words and draw an arrow to entangle him in his talk. We're going to get him to, to, to say something with his words that's going to get him in trouble. And then after he said it, they were thought that they said, This is this is amazing. I can't believe what he just said. He got himself out of that. He's like some kind of magician. Have you ever seen a magician on TV? They, 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 they put them in a cage. They lock them up. They blindfold them. They throw them in the ocean. And then they sit and watch them. And five minutes later they come out. And everybody's like, how in the world did they get themselves out of that? That's kind of what Jesus just did. We set the bait. We set the trap. We laid it out. 
Any other normal man would have fell right for that. And now, the Herodians aren't mad. The Jews aren't mad. How did he do that? He made nobody mad. And it made them more mad that he made nobody mad. (laughs) I can't believe it. It says they were amazed, marveled. And that word marveled there, it means they kept on being marveled. It's like, it's like they, they just couldn't stop. They couldn't get over it. It was the perfect answer. We have no comeback. This man is unbelievable. This man is amazing. Now let me ask you this, and I'm, I'm about to close. Would you not agree with that? That every time we study something like this, it should make our jaws drop where we walk out of church saying, that man is amazing. He is an amazing Savior. When was the last time you said, wow, about Jesus? It should be all the time. What an answer. What wisdom. And you'd expect them when they're marveling at His words to say, okay, you win, Jesus. We give ourselves to you. Isn't that what you think? You, you, you got it. We lose. You win. But watch what they do. It says that they left Him and went their way. They walked away from Christ. They lived to fight another day. Or to ask Him more questions. Well, I want you to see this. After this one's over, verse 23, then came the Sadducees. And, and they say, which, which say that there's no resurrection? And they asked him, there's another question for another day. And then verse 34, the Pharisees came after he put the Sadducees to silence. And then they had another question for Jesus. So they keep on trying to trap him. They walked away. They rejected. They refused. They didn't bow down. They didn't give to God what was owed to God. And I'm going to give you one more verse. Turn with me there. Luke 23. They finally get him in trouble. And they bring him before Pilate, Rome. And here's the charge that they... They couldn't get him trapped in his words. Understand that. That's how amazing he is. They couldn't get him twisted up. They couldn't get him in trouble. Every word he said was perfect. Every answer was perfect. Every reply was perfect. And, and they, they couldn't get him in trouble. So when they couldn't get him to trap himself, look what they do. Luke 23, verse 1. And the whole multitude of them arose, and they took him to Pilate, to the authorities. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this guy perverting the nation. And forbidding to give taxes to Caesar. That's a flat out lie. Are you with me? He just said. I mean, I can go back. Give Caesar what's Caesar's. And then here, just, just right before he dies, they said, we can't get him to say anything wrong. We'll just lie about him. That's how it always works. We can't get them twisted up. We can't get them to get themselves in trouble. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just lie. We'll just lie. So ultimately, he goes to the cross over a lie. So they paid their lip service. 
They said they're nice things. They were amazed. Get this. But they never gave to God what was owed to God. I'm going to say that again because there's people in church here today who have paid lip service to God. And they might have even been amazed by God. But they've never rendered unto God what is owed to God. They've never given themselves to God. Are you, are you with me on that? That's the typical picture of someone who's religious. They pay lip service, which is what they did. They were amazed, in awe, marveling, what a man! But they walked away and never gave themselves to God. There may be people in this church today, you've given to the government what you owe. You know why you give it to the government? Because you owe it. You can fight it, but they'll get it. Get this. You can fight God, but He'll get it. Maybe not now. Maybe not next year. But sooner or later, God will cut you down. So you're sitting here today. You've given to the government what the government's owed. Tax day's coming up next month. You'll give it. But the question is, have you given to God what's owed to Him? You need to think about that. I owe to God myself. He has me. I belong to Him. That's what we ought to be saying. I'm rendering my service to God. I'm rendering my worship to God. God gave me six days to do what I want. You know what He could have said? You you with me on this? He could have said, I'm going to give you a week. Seven days. You get to do what you want on two, I get five. He could have said that. He could have said, I'm going to take all seven. He could have said, I'm going to take six. But God said, I'm going to give you a week. You can have six to work and do what you want to do. I'm owed one. (laughs) And we can't do that. And you say you belong to God, right? How about this? God has given you. As I told you earlier, He's given me a lot of money in the stimulus. And He only asked for a little bit back. Hmm. He's owed that. Do we think about that? He don't ask for it all. It's, it's a little. Have you given to God what's owed to God? You've rendered to Caesar, obviously. You follow Caesar's rules, hopefully. But have you given to God what's God's? This is a command, I think. I, I know it is. That render is in a commanding form. Give to Caesar. That's a command. And give to God. It's a command. He's telling the Herodians and the Pharisees, give to God what's owed to God. And they walked away and they disobeyed. And here today, He's telling you, give to God what's owed to God. Have you done that? I'm not talking about lip service. God created you. God has given you a multitude of benefits. Has He not? He's given you breath in your lungs today. Has He not? 
He's giving you food to eat. Some of you are thinking about it right now, what you're going to eat in a minute. And you're going to have it. You'll get lunch. You'll get dinner. You'll get a midnight snack. You'll get stimulus money. I mean, God just keeps giving. He's a, he's a gracious and, and merciful and kind and, and giving God. He's given you so much. And get this. And then He bought you with a price. He bought you with a price. And then He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. So you owe it to God. I, I, I've never preached this before. You owe it to God. You owe it to God to give yourself to Him. You owe that to Him. Why are we holding back from Him? Why are we saying, no, it's mine. I'm my own. I live for me. You need today. Whether you've already done it years ago or you're just doing it new today. Say, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. I give myself to you. If there's a kid in here today, and I know there's kids in here, and you're hearing these things, you need to think, have I given myself to God? Have I given myself to God? And give yourself to God today. Amen. There's teenagers in here. And I know you. a lot of times when you're preaching to teenagers, this is how it works. I preach, it goes in this ear, and then out this ear. But if you've heard anything I say today, you owe yourself to God. Amen. You owe it, teenager. Give yourself to God. And if you're older, an adult... He says it's too late. No, it's never too late to give yourself to God. It's like putting a coin in the offering plate. I know we don't pass it. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. I know we don't pass it like we used to, but it's that easy. That I'm not taking a coin, and I'm taking myself. If I could put myself in an offering plate, I would. I belong to God. So I urge you today as, as we pray, and I'm going to ask Courtney to come play a song. And we're going to give an invitation. And the invitation is to you today to give yourself to God. As unbelievers, give yourself to God. As believers, we need to wake up every single day and say, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with my body. I am His. I belong to Him. That's what God is owed so as Courtney comes, I want to pray. I urge you, plead with you, please. Give yourself to God. Let's pray. Father, I, I have no doubt that there are people in this church today who have never given themselves to you. They may have paid you lip service week after week after week. They may have been amazed by you. They may know some things about you. But just like we see with the Pharisees and the Herodians, that's not enough. Knowing some things, being amazed by some things, and paying some lip service is not enough. We owe you more. We owe you everything. We owe you ourselves. So God, if there's, if there's one in here today who's never truly given themselves to you, I pray that they would do that sitting in these pews, that they could say, God, I give myself to you. Today and for the rest of my life, what's mine is yours. I give myself to you. If there's one online here today, and God, we've had people make professions of faith online. So God, I pray that if it's going through the, uh, the internet today, 
that people sitting in their living room, people watching it later this week, that they would say, I'm giving myself to you. It would be amazing if there was over a hundred people in here today, hundreds watching online, that they would all say, with me, I give myself to you. May we all say that today. I give myself to God. So God, work through this invitation time. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Courtney plays the altar.